Take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. Today is part nine of our Learning to Worship series. That's different than normal. Our normal series is the life of worship where we study David and Saul. On these weekends, we switch everything up We bring in a whole different team, try to move us completely out of our zone into thinking about things a different way. And what you just saw, obviously, through the interview, and we're going to try to put that full interview online so you can hear all of it. The interview is actually an hour. Uh, What you heard was maybe 12, 15 minutes of it, so a very small snippet. You can hear a lot more about uh, my talk with the reel. Um, By the way, just backing up, Jake... Uh, they're a blast. They are the nicest guys and uh, very much heartfelt. So I consider them uh, special to me. Uh, but in this learning to worship series, the idea is to spin things very different and to take a look at a different perspective in the world so that our worship is being maximized. That we are not containing God, that we are looking at it from all different directions, though all of them will not maybe tie in with our spirit or where we're at with the Lord at this moment, we need to be instructed and taught and trained to think of God in different ways. Today's message I entitled Real Life, which had nothing to do with a band. I entitled this six months ago before we even knew they were coming. So that was kind of unusual. But I want to begin with talking about the idea of sacred versus secular. Sacred versus secular. Uh, how many of you, uh, show of hands, grew up in the church? How many of you grew up in the church? All right, a little less than, than last night, so probably maybe 40% of us grew up in the church. Uh, if you grew up in the church, you probably heard this concept of there are some things that are Christian and then some things that are secular. Secular means non-Christian, uh, not with a Christian label on it. If Uh, You know how we talk about the Jewish people and we say, well, there's Jews and then there's everybody else, right? There's non-Jews. Okay, same concept as something is Christian and labeled as such, and then there's everything else. It doesn't necessarily mean it's negative. But when I was growing up, there was very much of a talk about music, that there was Christian music and then there was secular music. So I want to talk about this idea of sacred versus secular And what I want to do is let you know that it's not quite as clear-cut as we might imagine. And you'll understand here in a moment. I want to talk about Jesus in the secular world. Um, How many people, show of hands again, this is interactive day. How many people, show of hands, know Handel's Messiah? Have you heard that song? All right. So a big majority of it. When we do Easter and Christmas, it tends to come around. Um, I remember I was listening to... uh, uh, I, I was at um, a memorial service, and there was a song sung by a young girl. I don't know if any of you have heard her CD. What's her name, Joe? Do you remember her name? She goes through and sings in different cathedrals around the world and sings the most beautiful uh, songs. Her voice is extraordinary, and she's how old? Eleven. Uh, one of the most beautiful songs I ever uh, heard sung was sung by this young lady and um, it reminded me of this Handel's Messiah thing one of the most popular songs in history where we would go wow that's powerful about the Lord uh, real quick background on that Handel's not a believer all right uh, 
Handel wrote the music. Even though you know the lyrics, the lyrics were written by a, not, a guy with the last name Jennings. Jennings wrote the lyrics to that song, not Handel. Uh, but I would venture to say you don't know all the lyrics. You know the song, and you believe that the song is powerful, yet the song was written about a guy or from a guy that has no interest in the Lord whatsoever. I went and did all my research. I can't find anything that he had any interest in God. But yet when you hear that song, there's a, oh, that song, that's that really big Christian song. Okay, uh, let's talk about Paradise Lost. Anybody know the book Paradise Lost? All right. Even though you may not know the book, it would be considered, in my opinion, the second most influential book about what you believe about heaven and hell and what you believe about the angels. You've learned a lot of that from Paradise Lost, actually not necessarily from Scripture. It was a story written by John Milton. John Milton is a weird guy. All right. John Milton wrote all kinds of bizarre stuff. Um, as a matter of fact, he would never, ever preach here. I'll just let you know that John Milton uh, uh, completely denied the Trinity, was completely off on his views, and he had all kinds of screwed up doctrine. So when we tend to think and we would go, well, he's actually influenced you more than you realize. Very odd man. All right, let's go to some of the works of art. We know the Last Supper, yeah? Wow, what a beautiful painting. And it's how we picture Jesus and him sitting with all his odd-looking disciples, right? And they're all sitting, and we kind of have this picture, and we go, wow, that's, a, that's pretty powerful. Who, who painted that? Da Vinci. Anybody know Leonardo da Vinci, Christian? Oh, nope. All right. Da Vinci's another really odd cat, right? I mean, this guy's strange. Um, and no interest in Jesus whatsoever. Rembrandt, maybe, maybe not. He did um, the prodigal son painting. Raphael, the artist, absolutely not a believer whatsoever. Michelangelo, he made David, which we know was what? Not David um, at all. It, he, when we look at the statue and we go, wow, that's a really neat, amazing piece of art and biblical study. No, no, it's not David at all. Um, he just wanted to call it David so that the church would accept it. All right. Um, he painted the Sistine Chapel. When you go through the Sistine Chapel, an amazing mural of uh, revelation and how there's heaven and hell on one side. And it's this deep, powerful statement about God and everything. Do you realize that he put in that all types of things about how he hates the church? It's in the painting. Um, he did it because they had hired him. He's a hired gun. Um, all the thing, the finger touching God, that's on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Same guy. No interest in the Lord whatsoever. Um, the whole, you go around and he'll do all the pictures from Genesis all the way around through Revelation. Uh, not a believer. Um, let's keep going through this. Anybody know the King James Bible? King James. Believer? Uh, King James Bible. You got that? Good. King James, not even close to being a Christian. No way. Uh, King James... A uh, very bizarre, unusual man uh, had all kinds of psycho views and stuff like that. Not only that, but what was interesting at the time was he was openly bisexual. And so he would have all kinds of weird stuff going on in his world. That's the guy who got that one going. Um, and yet we look at all this and we say, well, of course, that's the best. It's this great Bible. All right. Hold on. He didn't do it for Jesus. He did it to make a name for himself. Uh, let's let's keep spinning this a little bit. Um, uh, last night, uh, last week I had a meeting with a gentleman, um, and his wife, and he was telling me his God story, his testimony. 
and he said, he said, Lance, as I was going through, God was trying to work with me. I was very um, angry at God. I was very hostile to uh, God in my life. But then God began to change me. But it all came to a head when I was listening to Coldplay. All right, now Coldplay, for those of you that don't know, is still a band that's making music now. They're the ones on the radio. They're not a Christian band whatsoever. Um, No interest in that at all. But he said, it was when I heard the song Coldplay, they have a song called The Scientist. And that song was about a guy who's all about uh, reason and things like that. He said, I'm that guy. And I realized I was lost. And that's when I began to change my life for the Lord. Really? Through Coldplay? Yeah, Mike? (laughs) Praise the Lord that God is speaking outside the church walls. Otherwise, we wouldn't be inside the church walls. Praise the Lord that God is all over the place, grabbing people's attention, speaking through everything and telling us, you know what? I'm here and I don't need any necessarily label to get a hold of you, but I will speak into your life. I will re-rack everything that you are and I do not need a label to do that. Let's keep moving forward. Um, I'm not telling you that in music that, hey, it doesn't matter what you listen to. Uh, you can be discipled by Newsboys or Eminem. Doesn't matter, right? I'm not, I'm not telling you that. Um, I, I'm sorry. Let me redo that for some of you. I don't care whether or not it's from the Newsboys or Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay, is that, is that, is that better for some of you? Everyone's like, who's Eminem? I don't. Okay, here we go. <laughs> that was for this crew over here. All right. <laughs> um, It does matter what you listen to. Obviously, you have to say what influences you're allowing into your life. That is what you're being discipled by. So we need to be very clear and uh, filter what exactly we are listening to and what we're allowing to train us and teach us. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is please do not say that God can only speak through that which we have labeled as Christian. That's inappropriate. It's not right. It's not accurate. Artists speak through what they see. Artists shape, sculpt, do all these things, paint that which they see in the world. So their artwork is going to reflect the person that made the stuff they're looking at. Right? Are we all getting this idea? Is that if an artist is captured by beauty, who's the author of beauty? God. If they go over and they paint a landscape about mountains that they were enthralled by, who made the mountains? God. So all these different artwork all throughout history, all this pouring out, whether they are ignorant of who God is or not, they are painting about great things God did. Great things that God is. Do not limit it that only people that are knowing God can reflect God. Let me talk about the fact that Jesus seems to be absent a lot from the Christian world. A couple months ago, um, I had an opportunity to sit down and talk with a tour manager, a music tour manager. And this is what a, a tour manager does. You go out on the road with a band and make sure everything goes smoothly. They don't handle their own stuff. You handle their stuff. So he goes out with large bands. As a matter of fact, he has been with a vast majority of all the artists that you would go pick up in the Christian bookstore. Has also gone out with secular artists as well. Now, I have been in the music industry and understand the backward and forward of it. I know that kind of stuff. And so this was my question to him, if you want to look a little bit behind the curtain. 
I said to him, hey, after all the people that you've hung out with and spent time with, can you please tell me that there are some good guys left? And he had to pause. And he said, there are some. He said, but I'd, I'm more comfortable with a secular industry than the Christian industry. Because they're more honest. Um, let's spin it again. Uh, the majority of Christian labels that you're buying in the Christian bookstore are owned by now. Sony, EMI, Atlantic, all that. You understand? They run that market. Um, if, you, if you go up further and further and further, that's why the Christian industry got better music. Because the secular people brought in the money. And when they brought in the money, they realized they can make money off the church. So they funded it got better product, and that's why the Christian industry has moved forward in terms of their production value, all right? Um, it doesn't, it's not just about music. It's all media, TV, movies, all that stuff. As you look through all that, just remember, God is communicating through all kinds of stuff. Let's take bad news. We look and we go, well, it, it's, it's only the positive stuff, right? No, God is speaking. He's shouting through the chaos uh, there was a time in my life when I read the paper for years, every morning. Through those pages, bad news after bad news after bad news, I still saw God shouting out things like, this is what happens when you say no to me. This is what happens when you do things your own way. This is what happens when I'm ignored. This is what happens. You know what I mean? And I began to see God's word coming through all those pages because it's not just the positive. God is saying things and he is being glorified and magnified through some of the most horrific events. Please don't tell God when he can and cannot speak to you. He's speaking to you all the time. The Bible says to the pure, all things are pure. Whatever that means in context, when we go back there, I want to tell you this. It's about perspective. If I told you right now, I want you to think of things that are red. You're going to start noticing red is all over the place. When your heart is fallen in love with Jesus and you are watching for him, you'll begin to see him come right out of the woodwork. You'll see him everywhere. This is what I'm trying to get us to see. Because our worship tends to be limited to small little categories, usually surrounding the church. Remember, if your worship is reserved for here, you're only worshiping an hour and a half a week. It's not sufficient. That is not a life of worship. Our worship of saying, God, I see you. You're significant. You matter to me. I will adjust by what I see through you. That's a life of worship. And it's 24-7, 365 days a year. It is not just here. What I want us to do is see Jesus all over the world, no matter what the label is, unhindered, unending worship. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. The line of sacred and secular for the believer is blurred. The line between sacred and secular for the believer is blurred. Why? Because God made it all. God owns it all. And God can speak through anything he wants. Let's open up God's word to Psalm 88, page 494, and the Bible's handed to you, 494. Psalm 88. I want to 
just kind of expand out our minds here for a moment through the book of Psalms. Now, Psalms is the Old Testament hymnal, right? It is the songs that the Old Testament saints would sing in temple. Um, as the Jewish people move forward, this was kind of their worship set, if you would think of. There's 150 Psalms. And you're going to hear some shocking statistics here in a moment. Let's just read through this. But before we do, let's pray that the Lord would open up our eyes that we might be able to see. Heavenly Father, we submit to you this morning and we ask for your leadership to us that you would speak through your word. Jesus Christ, you are alive and active. And as you course through your word to speak to us, soften our hearts. Holy Spirit, come upon us that we might be able to spiritually discern that what we need to know. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. By the way, this was written by the Old Testament worship leader named He-Man. Amen. Here we go. Oh, anybody remember that? Nobody? Okay, right. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. Sheol is the grave, the pit. Their theology at the time was that when you die in the Old Testament, you went down to a holding place. Sheol was a uh, large container world, the underworld. Half of it was um, positive. It would be referred to as Abraham's bosom, where Abraham was, meaning near his chest. Um, it was also referred to as paradise. It was referred to in a positive way, but still it was very shadowy. They did not have a very clear view of where they were headed. So you'll notice that the Old Testament saints talk about death very different than New Testament saints. The other half of Sheol was a prison, a dungeon of sorts. And that was what was later described as Gehenna or hell or um, the prison, darkness, things like that, all right? So he says, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my sin is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. That's death. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You, speaking of God, have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. Now, Selah is a phrase that's used by the psalmist to say, now pause and think about that. Take some time. Meditate on that. What did I just say? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you engage with that? Does that make sense to you? That's what it means. He keeps going, verse 8. You, speaking of God, have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Meaning, I don't know. Let's, let's consider that. Verse 11, is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon, that is the underworld? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. 
I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Well, that was cheery. Go back and look at the title of that psalm. What's the title? I know it's written by He-Man. What else? What's the first two words? It is a song. This is in their repertoire. This is the song they sing at church. Hey, can we sing that one? Which one? You know the one that totally depresses me? You know that one that talks about how God's totally mean to you? Yeah, that one's awesome. Let's sing that one again. Really? This is in their hymnal. We're actually going to sing this song around. Yeah, all right, everybody, you got that part, right? I'll do it in a round. What? Can you get more depressing than that? I mean, does it not skew the image of God? Well, you're looking at that and you're going, man, he sure looks like a bad guy. That's weird. I tell you, read Psalm 10, 90, 109. They're all like that. You literally look and you go, that ended so dark. There's, what, is there no hope there? I don't even know what's going on. There's 150 Psalms. One third of all of them, 51 of them, more than one third, are cries for help, saying, my day's horrible. One third of all worship songs in the Old Testament scripture? Are you kidding me? As a matter of fact, the psalmists talk about Betrayal of friends, fear, doubt, questions about life, revenge, anger, injustice. It sure sounds like our radio today, does it not? That's what's being sung. You sure you know what a Christian song sounds like? Because we all know Christian songs are happy, right? And they all end with a nice, neat little bow on the end. You tie it all up and boy, that looks nice. And if you don't end with a smile, Jesus isn't in it. Right? You sure? If so, then the Lord is not in the majority of the Psalms. Hmm. All right, what is the point? The point is this real Christianity is complicated, real life is complicated. There is pain, there is difficulty, there is doubt, there is fear, there is all sorts of things. And if we are going to train our children or our friends or minister to people and try to make them see a world that is fake, we give them some utopia view that when it comes to God, everything works out all the time really neatly. What you've just done is a dramatic disservice. That's not realistic and the minute they realize that they will abandon the faith because it's not real why does the bible include stuff like this because it's real that's why hmm. remember i taught back in march a whole message called worshiping in sorrow why because if you only worship when you're happy you're not going to worship very much we have to have a theology and a worldview where we can worship God when things aren't going well. Let me give you a different perspective. Turn to Psalm 148. 148, page 526. Psalm 148. So two right before the end of the whole book. Page 526. This is another perspective on why the line is blurred for the believer, because before we would always say, well, Christian stuff is all about hope and happiness. Well, that got blurred. That's not true. 
because it's it's deeper than that it's bigger than that god speaks to all sorts of things all right what else can we learn from the psalms well take a look at this one praise the lord praise the lord from the heavens praise him in the heights praise him all his angels praise him all his hosts praise him sun and moon praise him all you shining stars Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. And he established them forever and ever, and he gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling the word, his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord." What's so odd about that? Did you read the list of who's praising? If I was to ask you to sit down and say, what list of things or people that you know are praising the Lord, how many would have had mist on your list? Right? What? Mist? You got hail on your list? Is hail praising God? That's weird. And it goes through and it even says what? Creeping things. Right? Creeping things. They're walking along and then they kind of praise the Lord, lift up a little paw. Go back to it. Keep going. Dragons, praise the Lord. King James, that's right, King James. Hey, Christian man. <laughs> How does a tree praise God? Because, I mean, all this stuff, it's like that. They're shouting out praises to God. A tree praises God by being a tree. A dog praises God by being a dog. And as they echo out what they were built to do, as they reflect the creator, they bring him praise. The world, the non-believers, all sorts of inanimate objects can praise God. Now, they cannot worship. Worship is different. Worship is a personal connection, a submitting that the world does not do. But they praise. They praise. And praise is emanating from all of this. Why? Because God made it. That's why. It even says... Let all the kings of the earth praise God. Quick question. Are the majority of kings in the world believers? No. Have they ever been? No. So how exactly is that happening? Uh, Well, let me give you an analogy and a reason why. How many times have Old Testament pagan kings proclaimed God? You go, "I, I, I I don't know. All right. Let me chronicle it for you. Joseph worked for who? Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a pagan king in the Egyptian empire. He got Pharaoh to say some pretty unusual things and to recognize God. Let's go through. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. The king of what? The king was a pagan. He was not an Israelite king. He was not a believing king. We can go through and talk about Daniel's story, yeah? Daniel worked under what? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, even in that story, not a believer, ends up praising God and writing a whole kind of song about God and made the kingdom praise God. Then it came through Darius, same way. Then we talk about, as Joe and I were talking this morning, about Cyrus. 
Cyrus, pagan king, it was his declaration, his edict that allowed the Jews to go back into their land and he proclaimed that they could rebuild Jerusalem. Not a Christian, not a godly man. Let's fly into the New Testament. You know one of the first groups that proclaimed Jesus as Messiah? Guess who? The demons. Anybody remember that? Every time Jesus would show up, they'd shout out what? You're the son of God. They'd proclaim what everybody else didn't have a clue about. They're the ones shouting out loud to where Jesus went, shh. Remember? And he stopped the demons from proclaiming who he was. It was the demons that were shouting out the identity of who the Messiah was. Now we can go through this and do it over and over and over, whether it's Balaam's donkey sharing truth or a demon, it doesn't matter. Why? Because if God wants to say something, he'll use any vehicle that he wants. I want you to go back through in a split second through your testimony while you're here. What did God work through? I bet you it's ugly. I bet you it's nasty. I bet you it's really messed up. I bet you you never thought that God could use something like that, and yet he does. He's speaking all around us. We must keep our eyes open that worship is magnified. God is shouting his name from above. God is shouting his name from below. God is pouring out things about him. Why? So that we might know him. Don't shut him off. The beginning of Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Why should we keep our eyes open? Because God made it all and he is sovereign. It is for these reasons that we watch and remain alert. Psalm 24 starts, the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. If God is the creator of all things, if regular mankind, even not knowing God, is made in the image of God, they will tend to reflect things about God. We have to change our tuner and start watching for the movement of the Lord in all things. I believe that as we go through our daily lives... God is talking to you when you walk out of this building, when you drive home, when you go through and you see something outside your window. God can say something through a billboard. He can say something through a song on the radio. He can say something through a talk show. And you look and you go, but he can't possibly be speaking to me. That's not Christian. Here's the last warning I'll give you for today. One of the big problems with painting things with such a large stereotyping brush is that the minute it has a Christian label on it, you turn off your filter. Please don't do that. I want you to remember that just because someone calls something Christian doesn't mean it's healthy. I would like to change titles on you if I could. Instead of sacred and secular, I would like to call it Christian labeled and not. So when you go into the Christian bookstore, it is actually the Christian labeled bookstore and not because not everything in there is healthy. 
Not everything in there is good for your spirit. Not everything in there is speaking for the Lord accurately. Let me close with these thoughts. A life of worship is all the time and God is interacting with us all the time through most everything we encounter. Do not put boundaries around when God can speak or when you might be listening. God can communicate to you through donkeys and demons. The question is, are you listening? And if you are, are you worshiping? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes and letting us know that you will not be contained You will not be labeled. You will not be thrown into a category. You will not be shut out. That you can speak through anything and everything. And to him who has ears, let him hear. For Father, if we hear from you, I don't understand how we cannot respond in worship and praise if you have already captured our hearts. So Father, throughout our every day, throughout our every moment, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.